Welcome to episode 15 of the Ace of Spada podcast hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spada. Guys, I am excited to have a special guest on today. She goes by the name of Sam Guaz. Um, you can find her on Instagram at, at the Sam Plan Me. Um, she's incredible. It was an incredible interview. We had some technical difficulties, but we fought through it. But she was incredible in general, guys. We talked about everything from body positivity, going through her prep, how that prep aligned with her life goals now and how it changed her life, Um, how to mentally be okay with how your body looks, finding that happy, healthy look, choosing memories over macros, and more. Guys, I'm so excited to get this episode out to you. But first, let me shout out two companies that believe in me and I believe in them. First is Fitletics. They're a clothing company run in Cleveland, Ohio. Guys, I'm a big supporter of them. Their owner is my coach. So everybody, go take a look at their products. You can use code SPADA. It's a support code, so everything helps me. Thank you if you do use that code. And secondly is RevUp Nutrition. These are the products that I use directly. They have Nitrous 2 and TuneUp. TuneUp is their BCAA-EAA combo. That's my favorite one. If I have to choose, hydrates muscle, helps with recovery. Nitrous is one of my favorite pre-workouts I've ever tried in history. It's so clean. It's so tunnel vision focused. Guys, and it also helps in the classroom too. They have nootropics in there, which is a huge thing nowadays. So use code SPADA to get 15% off their products. And everything helps me too. So thank you guys for listening to this intro. Everybody, welcome. Sam Guas. All right, welcome Sam Guaz to the podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have you on. Everybody's really excited to listen to this episode. It's a really important topics that we'll be going over. Um, I met Sam through listening. Actually, I'm, I Instagram DM'd you a while ago to record this. Um, and then we also, I've been following you for like, oh, wow. I think a year and a half now or two years. So it's just been, it's just been like a transformation yeah. of your Instagram profile completely and uh we're gonna get into that on how you have transformed it from being a competitive bodybuilder to doing more of the memories over macros type approach to life yeah hi everybody my name is sam i am you know just kind of what anthony just said i've been through quite a transition in the last year and a half or so i'm an online health fitness nutrition life coach and yeah, I've been through an evolution as a coach as well as, you know, throughout my lifestyle in terms of what I find important and what I cater to really the most in my day. So uh, my coaching has transformed a lot as well as much as, you know, you can transform your aesthetics through nutrition and through training. I try and focus more so with my clients on the mental and the emotional and just making sure that they're not losing sight of their happiness through the entire process and especially lifestyle and relationships, business. There's so many things that are so important that tend to get neglected when you focus solely on your aesthetics or performance. And so that's really how I've kind of transitioned over the last year or so. Yeah, I think, um, People will already have listened to this episode uh-huh. with me and uh, Brad Jensen, the sober bodybuilder. Uh, mm-hmm. He came on and we were talking about the spiritual aspects of it and how that's right. just as important, if not more important than the aesthetics. I think it's more important. Uh, I touch on it on every single episode. So clearly I have some influence on that, but it's it's insane what the mentality of someone actually affects mm-hmm. a lot of things and how they perceive the world. So we're going to get right into it. Um, your Instagram, I think, is one of the more motivational ones for people a lot, I would say. Mm-hmm. At least for me, you talk about body positivity. Um, it's a big movement nowadays, especially with people mm-hmm. finally understanding that mental health side of it. So if you want to touch more into 
how you transitioned into that body, like positivity mindset and what it truly means to have that, just like the mental aspect of body positivity. I guess it goes way back. I was a chubby kid and when I was eight or nine years old, I went to the doctor and they told me I needed to lose weight and that really initiated the perspective of the way that I look isn't okay and I need to change that. So from then on, I was just consumed with fitness, nutrition, not always the right things. I fell into, you know, horrible diets that I wouldn't, you know, I would never even consider now like being a possibility. You know, I did things like the cabbage soup diet. I eliminated certain food groups, like just crazy things, HCG diet, like crazy things. And, you know, really I was so obsessed with the idea of being thin and being in control of the way that I looked, that I studied nutrition for four years of undergrad. I got my degree in nutritional science, dietetics, and then I went to Georgia Southern to get my master's in kinesiology and sport nutrition. So at the root of it all, I was consumed with the idea of I want to be thin, I want to be in control of my body, and let me learn how to do that. So in the process, I got into bodybuilding, I started tracking macros, and that was a light bulb moment for me because it really opened my eyes to understanding my own body and what it was going to take to get to a certain goal. So then I really started getting into competing, getting into those super low body fat percentages, and to be perfectly honest, and I can say this now, like I was so unhappy. I had zero balance in other areas of my life to where obviously what I was accomplishing was just not sustainable. And, you know, kind of backpedaled a little bit. I was dealing with a lot of obviously body image issues from when I was little and that developed into an eating disorder in my in high school and then kind of followed me through into like bodybuilding and then that kind of resurfaced again as I started to deal with the backlash of getting so lean and wanting to maintain that but knowing it wasn't healthy but then from that moment on comparing myself to that leanest point and comparing myself to what my younger self would consider like the ultimate victory I was finally at that very low body fat percentage and you know I think the childhood my childhood self or like my high school self would be like Like you did it, like you accomplished it, like now you just have to maintain it. And that's also a mindset that I think that I deal with a lot with clients or with, you know, even just through my own experiences, oh, if I can just lose the weight, then I can maintain it. And so you try all these crazy things, you get those instantaneous results, but then you realize it's not sustainable. And the problem isn't necessarily that, you know, our society is bad at losing weight. I think we're great at losing weight, but we're horrible at maintaining it. We're horrible about doing it in the right and long-term and healthy way. Yeah, I think that definitely happens. I think it's something, I think every person who's been in bodybuilding in some sort of aspect Mm -hmm. has always went through that tracking macros phase. Um, I'm currently in that right now. And it's more turning into that struggle. It is like you're saying, it's just like, it feels like it's like a weight on your shoulders a little bit, but like sometimes you got to get it to the point. Like, like I want to compete in a year. Like that's my goal right now. And I'm kind Mm -hmm. of on that goal and I want to do it. So it's like, I'm going to sacrifice my time right now, but I still make time to go out with my friends. I think that's like the important thing because being 22, it's like something that you need to take into consideration is that you're supposed to go out and you're supposed to be social with people because if you just, it has a mental effect on you. And I realize that like when I stopped going out like last semester a lot is that Absolutely. it just takes a lot out totally. of you. And it's so and draining. I think when it comes down to, I think macros are great. I think that you learn so much and that whole idea of, Oh, like you just need to learn to be an intuitive eater. I think at the root of that, you need to understand what your body needs and it's not just, listen to your body, your body knows when you can't interpret those signs in an accurate way, which is kind of where that 
education comes from really is from macros. So I think there's so much to be gained from, from my yeah. experience in bodybuilding. There's so much to be gained from just tracking your macros and being more mindful of what you're eating in general. But you can't lose sight of a lifestyle that you want to maintain in the process. You know, you can't neglect going out because then you're not going to know how to go out and eat when you want to evolve into more intuitive eating. So, yeah, you can't neglect the parts of your lifestyle that serve you and not just um, the aesthetic or performance based ways. Like you have to challenge yourself like it truly is a challenge to go out and try new things and you know even though like you are committed to your you know athletic performance your aesthetic goals like those are all big teaching and learning opportunities for how you're going to sustain and maintain the results that you achieve yeah and i think the one i think there's a common misconception i feel like i see about intuitive eating that a lot of people don't understand is that there's always signals. And I think you learn this, like you were saying from tracking macros, that's really important is you learn when you're kind of emotionally hungry and you get that signal or mm-hmm. your actual, or your body just needs to be fed. And then people need right. to know the point of like satiety, like, like they need to know. I feel like there's, I feel like that's the toughest part to learn when you're trying to do intuitive eating. Right. If you don't learn how to track first, and it's just a common misconception that people could just go from eating unhealthy to just intuitive eating. I feel like it's like you need a coach yeah, to properly process think, through that. You know, when steps. you look at macros, it is the most optimal and efficient way for you to achieve a very specific goal. If you don't have a specific goal and you just want to be healthy, then yeah, intuitive eating is something that you can learn and, and achieve and be really happy doing. But if you have a specific goal like weight loss or muscle gain, then tracking macros is a way to enforce a protocol that your body doesn't in, like in tune know how to do. And you kind of have to reinforce that up, upon yourself because if I – I mean – Let's just say, like when I was in high school and if you said, oh, like intuitive eating, just listen to your body, I would have been like, well, I barely need to eat then because I didn't, I don't feel like I was eating to, like, I just didn't really understand what my body needed, obviously. And I would have been under eating or I would have assumed that my body needs, needed significantly less than it probably did. I mean, the recommended daily allowance for just the general population is 2000 calories. Well, who does that cater to? Like, especially as a young girl yeah. who's 130, 140 pounds, like I would just naturally gravitate. Oh, my body probably needs like 1,200 calories. You know, if, if if I were looking at an average person, I would just automatically underestimate my own caloric needs based on that. So we already have like this picture of what a healthy diet looks like for a normal human or for, you know, the average population. And I think women in particular tend to under consume calories because there is that understanding already set in place. Yeah. And I think it also comes from Instagram and like, like we were talking about the body image type thing where you see everybody on Instagram and you see the girls with like shredded abs or something, or even just like they're really fit and you can know it, but they put in a lot of work on their bodies and a lot of girls think they need yeah. to like cut out so much in their life mm-hmm. to do that, which is just not true. It's really just like, like I have my client and she's eating more mm-hmm. food than she ever was and she's still losing weight. And she's like, I never felt happier. And I'm like, yeah. Right. I'm like, you never looked better. You haven't looked this great either. And she's like, yeah. And it's just like, but it's just like the Instagram thing is really a tough thing to do. And I think you're setting an example by showing it though. It's because you went through the whole process of doing this and now you're showing yourself and you're showing your vulnerability to it, which is like the incredible part because a lot of people aren't yeah. showing those phases where they aren't and shredded. It's years. And I think like, that's an important I, thing. And Years of not just yeah. being consistent, but years of being hyper, like, I don't want to say competitive, but uh, committed to my goals. Like, I didn't miss the gym. I trained really hard. My nutrition was on point. And now I'm much more flexible. I go out to eat significantly more. I've probably gone out to eat more in the last year than I would in the, I had in the last three years combined, right? So 
what I do now isn't necessarily what I did before. And not to say that you can't get to a very happy and balanced lifestyle, just not having that background. But the way that I got to where I am now was a lot of trial and error. I spent a lot of time committed to understanding my body, what it needed. And by doing that, like I've really collected a ton of data on myself and what my body needs so that I can now follow something that's somewhat similar on a pretty consistent basis to make sure that my needs are met both from like a micronutrient and a macronutrient perspective. Now going through prep, was there like a, was there a moment, I guess at the end, I feel like there's always something with someone going through prep where they, they just don't feel satisfied. Like they, Mm -hmm. like they end up like they win the show, but then they think they could be better and it's not, you're not supposed to look like that all the time. And I think a lot of people have that generalization that you're supposed to, that those people look like that a hundred percent of the time. And I, that's the one thing I'm kind of nervous about is like, is that's where the problems develop, especially for people in the bodybuilding industry or even just fitness in general is when they do go through a prep, it's that body image problem that they have. And I just want to know your experience going through your own prep. Like, what did you su- like? Did you yeah, suffer from I all this? And like, how did you deal with it? Common for most competitors not to feel fully ready to step on stage until a week or two before. So you're constantly second guessing yourself. Of course, you're judging yourself very harshly throughout the entire process. Looking in the mirror a lot. It's a very superficial. I don't. Um, it's not a performance. It's a competition, very superficial. So you're constantly picking yourself apart. And I didn't feel ready until, yeah, like a week, probably peak week when you're really getting your body into a position to where you're just peeled. And up until that point, I didn't see my abs all the time. I felt very thin. Like I knew I was thin. I saw body composition, changing significantly. I was down to 9% body fat and I knew because I was testing it every single week. And I I was in a position where I could do that. I was in grad school. And so I had access to like a bod pot. I was doing it every single week. And, um, but yeah, I, but in my body and it's, it's this whole psychological thing that you go through where the way that you look at yourself isn't necessarily the way that you know other people perceive you. So in my body, I felt pretty lean. I knew I was getting there. Uh, I knew other people were looking at me and thinking I was so lean. I knew that was happening. But then I also had that internal struggle of, but I'm not there yet. Or like, look at this piece of fat. Look at this. Like I was, you know, very, very harsh on myself as most competitors (laughs) typically are. And there were a few things that really surprised me throughout the process. I'd always kind of had a butt, but I'd only been training for, you know, maybe a year, weightlifting for a year or two before I decided to do a competition and it was gone. Like you're lean, of course, like you don't realize where your body stores fat. You just don't, you don't have that perception, but when you get really, really lean, it's gone from everywhere and you're just kind of like shit. Fortunate. I remember seeing my sister and she was like, where'd your ass go? Like, and so that was shocking. And then, yes, like I got to a point where I could see my abs. I was pretty, pretty lean, but they weren't around all the time. Like I thought I'd be walking around with just, you know, absolutely just like diced up obliques and everything. The peak week and, uh, you know, working on removing extracellular water and plumping up your muscles, making sure that, you know, you're, you're as full as possible when you step on stage, like that process is pretty incredible. And being able to manipulate your body in a way that is so precise is something that, I mean, it was so rewarding to be able to do that and to see the effects of, you know, a certain number of carbohydrates on how your muscle bellies fill up and, you know, a certain amount of water, making sure all of these different tiny pieces are put into place so that you can show up your best on stage. 
it's really, really cool, but it's also really eye-opening to see your body very, you know, positioned in a timely way to where when you step on stage, you're at your very best, right? But leading up to that, you don't, I mean, it's a significant difference. The tan, uh, the suit, like all of these little tiny pieces that people wouldn't really understand being so significant, but they really, really are. And I think it puts you in a place mentally to feel ready as well. Once you kind of put these pieces together, you start to feel more and more ready to step on stage. But, you know, the week before you're a completely different person mentally and physically. And that's really, again, really interesting, especially if you have never gone through that before. And, um, but very eye-opening as well to understand, better understand like the fitness industry and to better understand bodybuilding and and just the human body in general. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's my buddy actually was, uh, while we were in school, he was doing a show over the summer mm-hmm. and he sent me like photos throughout his peak week and he was just like blowing up. I'm like, dude, you look 100% different than you did going in yeah. this week. Like this week he was like totally flat and then he just like absolutely yeah. blew up. I'm kind of like, well, it's kind of actually like, sick. You don't feel good. But like lifts your, I think it lifts your spirits yeah. a little bit. You're excited. You're at the end. And nutritionally, you're giving your body more carbs than depending on how you decide to do your peak week. You can front load. You can back load. There's all these different strategies. But the way that I approached at least my first show was I um, I back loaded. So I come earlier and then I build them up as I got closer to show. And yeah, you you feel like dog shit. Like you horrible. But as you kind (laughs) of come into it, you know, you're you feel stronger, you feel leaner, like you feel much more muscular. Whereas literally a week prior, I was I just felt like I was skin and bone any muscle anymore Uh, but yeah that process is so unique in how you're able to understand your body and understand food in a completely different way and and it's a it's a positive and a negative I would say it's a positive because you know you're so in tune with your body you get to manipulate certain things and see how they influence the way that you look the way that you feel but it also gives you a perspective of significant restriction and that's the downside for sure because once you are done competing and you have to start eating more food that control starts to slip away as well you know where you had no problem eating you know your macros or your meal plan before but there's less incentive less reason for you to be as strict so then you go out to eat something you haven't done in months and you don't really know how to handle yourself which is where you know, that macro and nutrition protocol starts to need a little bit more attention in a very, very different way. And most people just don't either have the support. And I did, I coached myself. So I was, I, I just was like, oh. okay. So, yeah. Like, and, you know, that expectation of, okay, I need to put on weight and I know it's going to happen but I want to feel good while I'm doing it. It was just, it was a, the perfect storm for me because afterward I just, I couldn't handle eating more. I, I didn't want to in a way of like, I'd already accomplished, you know, being really lean. I don't want to get, I don't want to blow up. I don't want to too far in the other direction, Yeah. but I couldn't find that happy medium. <laughs> it was a huge struggle for me and a struggle that probably lasted a solid year, year and a half of me trying to rebuild a proper relationship with food that wasn't built around restriction. And I think that that's something too, that tracking macros isn't all about restricting yourself. However, that's how majority of people use it. They use macros to lose weight, but it's so important for you to also use macros to teach yourself how to nourish and fuel your body properly, whether it's for maintenance performance, whatever your, you know, outside goal may be, macros aren't just a tool for restriction, although that's usually how they're used. Yeah, I think, I think the reverse diet, um, I had Dylan Bear on, he's like a huge fitness coach now for bikini um, competitors. And we talked about, we talked about the diet on this one. And the next episode I'm having on, 
with him. Mm-hmm. Like in April, we're discussing the reverse diet because we were discussing it. And we're like, that's probably the more important part yeah. of coming out of prep is not getting shredded. He was like, getting shredded's the easy part. He's like rebuilding. He was like rebuilding that relationship back up with food. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's the part that they struggle with. Um, so how did you go about that one and a half year like that rebuild relationship like what what were your struggles with it and then like how did you how did you eventually overcome that and get to this point where now you are rebuilt that relationship and now have yeah, that's such a some good sort question. of a good relationship so for me I tried to reverse myself but I went on a couple of trips I went to like on a year I went to Europe I went to um, so I went to Europe after my first show and didn't track at all, but still had a pretty okay. poor relationship with food to where like I brought protein bars, I brought a lot of snacks so that I wasn't overindulging and I don't think I gained that much weight. But then I came home and I was like, oh no, like what happened? And uh, I was like, well, I'll just prep for another show. So, so I prepped for another show oh. and struggle a little bit on that one didn't feel as great as I did on the first just because my environment had changed drastically I had graduated from school I was working so when I did my first show I was in my last year of grad school and then when I did my second show I had just graduated and was on my own and it was yeah completely different environment it was definitely significantly harder especially Having graduated, all my friends were early 20s. I was early 20s, and everyone revolves their social life around like happy hour. So, if you don't go to happy hour, you're not hanging out with your friends. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) that was really hard. I definitely felt like I isolated myself probably the same amount, to be honest. Like, I definitely isolated myself and restricted my intake. Of course, I was prepping for a show. And then the rebound after my second show was the worst. I, for the next year, didn't really track okay. macros. <laughs> I struggled intermittently with binge eating and restricting and trying to compensate for for overeating. And then I went on another trip. I did a lap around the world. I started in Southeast Asia and then ended in Europe. Mm-hmm. But on that trip, I focused on just enjoying the experience. I didn't want to look back and regret anything. So I didn't want to neglect trying new foods. I didn't want to sacrifice exploring a city to go to the gym. So I told myself I'm going to fully enjoy this experience for what it is. And that was like three months, this three months that I I did this trip came home, I was the heaviest I'd probably ever okay. been. And that was really hard. So I was like, what do I do? I go back to macros. So I'm just going to start my macros again. And okay. I just started restricting myself. So if you can tell, like, this is a pattern for me. I restrict using macros. Yeah. Can't handle it once I get lean. Can't maintain it. Can't sustain it. So then I start binging again, right? Eat overeating, not being very, you know, nutritionally conscious. And I think what's really interesting about my story in particular is I have all this education. I know all, I know, I know how to control my body. I'm very aware. I, you know, studied nutrition for six years. Yeah. You got a lot of, you got a lot of, uh, letters next to your name. (laughs) What I realized that, or that third time really tracking macros and getting really lean again is, that every time I did it, I neglected my social life. I sacrificed my health. I didn't really give a shit about the nutrition I was putting my body. It was all macro oriented, which isn't a bad thing. I think that you can do if it fits your macros and, you know, there's obviously a better way than, you know, than just eating shit all the time. Um, But like, you know, yeah, <laughs> I was neglecting my mental state. I was neglecting connecting with myself in other ways. Everything was focused on when am I training? What am I doing? What am I eating? And when am I eating it? So that last time I tracked macros, I looked at it from the perspective of how can I make this sustainable for myself and 
not repeat the cycle because the cycle was exhausting to me. I was like, this, this just can't happen again. I'm just so tired of feeling shitty about myself and losing track of a lot of the parts of prep or of being really strict with my nutrition and my fitness that did make me feel good. It felt great to have a routine. It felt great to be organized because when you're in prep, like you have all these moving parts and you have to find a way to organize all of them to get shit done. So you feel super, um, you know, organized, you feel very accomplished by all the things that you're able to get done throughout the day. So I just wanted to implement a lot more of, of those things into my routine. And so that I started journaling, I started, uh, meditating a little bit, nothing crazy. It would be like maybe two minutes of just breathing. And I started dating my boyfriend who we, like, we both love food. Like I, it was a fact, like, I love food. So we started yeah. going out to eat and I was like, well, if I'm going to go out to eat, like I need to figure out how I can still feel good in the gym So it's a huge learning opportunity for me to utilize macros or to utilize a lifestyle that I just wanted to have and fill it with things that made me happy, made me feel good and supported, you know, me being a great coach. Like I wanted to serve people. And when I was under eating or I was serving myself in a very superficial way, I was unable to do that to the best of my ability. So I kind of had all of these thoughts bouncing around for about a year until I really slided into a routine and a system that works best for me now. And I think it's so important to continually check in with yourself over time because what works for me now certainly won't work for me in a year. You know, things change all the time. The way that I enjoy training now is significantly different than it was before. I remember after my first and second show, I hated training. I hated going to the gym because I was just, I forced myself so many days to go do the cardio, do the training. And I mean, that's the epitome of overtraining. Um, You don't have a desire to do it anymore. So I was overtrained. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And so now my, the way that I approach fitness is so different than it was before. I don't force myself to go anymore. I really check in with myself and make sure that every time I go, it's for the right reasons and changing up my training, trying a bunch of different things and knowing that one mode of fitness isn't better than another. It's just you know, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I wanted to touch on, yeah, I wanted to touch on that. Um, cause we see you go from on your mm-hmm. Instagram post, we see you do F 45 mm-hmm. and then some days you're doing weightlifting. So I was going to get your thoughts on like, just being happy with training. I guess you kind of just touched on it, but it's so important to be in that groove. Like you may be pushing yourself in the gym. Like that's one thing, but it's yeah. being happy and getting that experience in there. That's like the mm-hmm. best part. Like you need to find something that's comfortable with you. And I think that's why there's like, I think the problem is in the industry is that there's like judgment on types of training and you could see it from people in CrossFit and, and then there's like the bodybuilders. So it's like yeah. the bodybuilders are like, Oh, CrossFit's not worth it. And then, but CrossFit's changing yeah. on thousands and thousands of lives. Like they, like they might not preach the best technique. Maybe like some coaches aren't, <laughs> certified to really do it but that's like one of the cons to it but it's still easy for people to rather do group training than it is to just go training on their own because other because they need other people to kind of give them inspiration to keep going so i think that's the important thing of doing something like that and i want to get your thoughts on like how you found like f45 and then like how you decided to split between like weightlifting and doing that and then like yeah, types of I think, other training. Yeah, there's definitely a lack of inclusivity in fitness sometimes in the fitness industry because everyone has preference and that's okay, but there's nothing wrong with how yeah. you decide to train versus how I decide to train. It's just whatever floats your boat, figure it out, find a way to stay healthy and active. And it's very intimidating. I think weight training is intimidating and I used to shit on CrossFit all yep. the time. 
But what I've realized too is, I mean, people get hurt all the time, no matter what they're doing. They could be in a class, they could be at CrossFit, yeah. they could be doing Zumba. People get hurt all the time. So that, you know, when you, especially when you involve weights and maybe people aren't properly instructed, there's certainly room for risk. Um, but I mean, a year and a half ago, two years ago, I would have never thought I would be enjoying group classes. I never thought I would prefer to work out in a group over working out by myself because I was so much in kind of like that tunnel vision of this is what, this is what's optimal. This is what works. And I, there wasn't a gray area, right? Like I was very black and white with the way that I did things, the way that I saw things to be optimal and I didn't really leave room for anything else. Now, I mean, I typically do F45 two, three times a week. And then I do my own training that's more strength oriented, bodybuilding oriented, even hypertrophy two or three times a week. So what I enjoy about F45 is how short a time period it takes for me to get a workout in and to feel pretty tired. And I, for a very long time, like I enjoyed my comfort zone of this is how hard I'm going to push. It's, and it's difficult in different ways because when you're in a, in a weight room, you're challenging yourself with how heavy your weights are. When you are in a group setting, you're challenging yourself yeah. with more endurance based. Um, you're not really challenging yourself with how much weight you're pushing, but you're challenging yourself with how hard you're pushing yourself. So it's very different. And like I said, a year ago, year and a half ago, like there's no way I would have thought that I'd be enjoying F45 the way that I am because I've always had the perspective of I can give myself a better workout, which, you know, I don't, I mean, I definitely can, can put myself through a tough workout, but not maybe not in 45 minutes. Like those are all movements and skills that I didn't ever practice. So, you know, I didn't do a lot of plyometrics. I didn't do a lot of footwork or anything like that. So introduce my, introducing myself to F45 was like being a kid again and being in sports. And it was something that I didn't know I was missing. It was something that served me and kind of filled me up in a way that I've really enjoyed and who knows how long I'll continue to enjoy it. But for now, it's something that, you know, serves me in a different way than when I go to the gym and I lift heavy weights and, and that lights me up too, but just in a very different way. So how do you come across, I know you being an online coach, how do you come across with like trying to make sure the client is happy, but like when they deal with these, I feel like a lot of clients may come to you. Mm-hmm. Cause they have like this mental barrier that they have with food or whatever it is. I don't know if you see it a lot as an online coach. Um, I see it mm-hmm. from friends and everything that do fitness. Um, how do you effectively kind of just like get them through that process of getting through that mental barrier for like, whether it be being happy training or making sure like they're eating right. Like do you go through that process of tracking macros and everything first and then and then kind of just yeah. Typically, I would say there's two types of clients. Either you've had a ton of experience with macros and you're trying to get away from it because it's been too consuming or too strict or too you know whatever, or you've never really experienced macros before and you're still in the beginning stages of learning and trying to figure out what works for you and how to best serve your needs and fit your goals. So depending on the client, it just, yeah, I think, yeah, it just depends on the client. But overall, I do try and have my clients start with macros so that I can have a better understanding too. Because if you don't understand something, so if you're not being mindful or you don't necessarily have anything to quantify what you're studying, which is your body and your lifestyle and your happiness and your fitness, then you can't effectively change it. So if I don't know what you're eating, I don't know how much you're eating, 
how am I going to know how to change or adjust or modify things to serve your needs and your goals? So the beginning stages of any client coach interaction should be, let's see what you're doing. What does your routine typically look like? Let's better understand what you're currently putting into your body so that we can make changes moving forward that best suit your needs and your goals and your lifestyle. And then uh, we were talking about this right before the good and bad food misconception. I think that's a big thing with clients is that they always Mm -hmm. now, when they do start to track macros, is that like they said, like you were doing with restricting yourself on what to eat. I think there's a problem and I'm going to call out my teacher that I literally just started with first day of class comes out with a thing, comes out with a PowerPoint slide that has good and bad for foods. And I was, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I sent, I sent like all these people, like a photo of it. They were like, you, they were like, you're crazy. I was like, uh, it's my, it's like my science of macronutrients class. Cause I wanted to get, I just wanted to get a nutrition class and I was like, okay, this might be cool. And then she just comes out with the slide that says boom, good and bad. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) I mean, that's something that I think has followed me from just being a kid, right? You do all the crazy diets and you hear all these crazy things and some of them just stick to you like glue. For me, one of them and something that like I had to do, especially getting more into like intuitive eating or eating more in maintenance or eating more in a surplus and tracking, understanding and absorbing that information was eating those fear foods. So foods that I had once marked or labeled as bad, like bagels, like ice cream, like even pancakes or, you know, there's certain foods that probably trigger you more than others. For me, one of those was bagels because I, and I can't yeah. even remember where this information I read so many stupid magazines when I was a kid that like bagels were like smushed up pieces of bread, like bread. So it was very carb dense, but in reality, a bagel is like two pieces of bread, like macronutrient wise depends on the bread, but it's not that high in carbs. It's really not that bad for you. Um, But yeah, it's, it's something that I think everybody deals with. And there's things that I'll eat now that people look at me and they're like, why are you like, what? Like, you know, so much, why are you eating those things like diet soda (laughs) or, um, or I'll get a burger or whatever. But for me, that's been the process of healing that has initial was initially very hard. Once I really started letting go of macros every single day, letting go of, extreme restriction, I did gain weight and it was really hard, but it was because I was embracing foods that I hadn't had in a very long time and foods that I had cravings for, foods that maybe would instigate overeating. But over time, once I kind of implemented that challenge more frequently, I was able to push past a lot of those those meant those feelings of like emotional attachments to foods and triggers that were so strong before, like where now <clears throat> I can have a bagel and I do every day pretty much, but um, I can have things in more moderation <laughs> and I can have a stronger connection with my body in the way that these foods make me feel instead of relying on tracking macros or counting my calories to tell me whether or not I should eat more. I can, again, listen to my body and know what I need moving forward rather than, again, relying on an app to tell me you need to eat more of this, you need to eat less of this, moving out, like moving throughout the rest of your day. Yeah, I think that's like, I think the good and bad food, I think everybody it should never be fully like done that there's some good and there's bad food. It's moderation. And I think that's the toughest part for writing class. I was going to call her out and I was like, no, I was like, that's not true. But I didn't want to, I don't want to talk in front of 200 people kind of calling out my professor on the first day of class. So I was like, 
Oh, I'll just wait right. and I'll just talk to her by the self at like her office hours because I was like, that's not something well, right, that you should be because, teaching all these kids. Like, and I think that this is something that maybe our generation is experiencing more than previous generations, and that is, you know, eating disorders or, um, you know, food fears, and these are all things that are instigated from lessons like here's a good and here's a bad food, you know, emotional attachment to food or, um, you know, psychologically looking at something as good and bad. It's for sure, without a doubt, like not everybody, but it's going to pull you into a direction where you feel good about yourself or you feel bad about yourself based on that food choice that you made. And that's not something that we necessarily want to be teaching, teaching people to where, ate that bad food you're a bad person or you're you know that's not the right type of education for a lot of people especially if food is something that is more emotional and it's not as subjective which is really more like the culture that we live in today like food isn't subjective it's not just either you you eat to survive or eat to you know exist it's very much something else it's really evolved into something else Yeah, like I'm in my, like she said, like we're going to do a project on looking at your diet, like your own diet and what you can make different. And I'm right now, I'm in my improvement season. So I'm currently on like 3000 calories and I'm like, yeah, you don't want to see what I'm going to be eating. It's like, I'm eating like four servings of oatmeal a day and she's probably going to be like, that's not good. And I'm going to be like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I got to do what I got to do to fuel my body right now. So there's a diff, like you were saying, there's a difference between performance and finding that healthy relationship, but it will come along and it will always come along. And I think it's important for us to teach people that there is that relationship. And I think it's, and I think people need to stop like comparing themselves to the people on the internet because those people like you, like you have been doing it for a long time and you know what your body needs. And I think that's, I think a parasite syndrome mm-hmm. is probably one of the worst things for our generation. And Instagram totally. just absolutely blows out of the water. And I think, I think that's one of the worst things that it's one of the best things that's happened, but one of the worst things too because people do shed good mm-hmm. light, but there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing and then they shed themselves out and it's just really difficult right now. And I think it's our generations, it's people like us that need to kind of just like find the way in. And it's just like really difficult because people yep. with the shredded I mean, abs I mean, are getting all the likes. It's all these. trial and error. I remember <laughs> when I first started Instagram or when I, you know, yeah. when I first yeah. started with the fitness pages and all of that, like I followed people who I've since unfollowed because they didn't share valuable content or I didn't feel <laughs> like they provided me with, you know, body positivity. They didn't make me feel good about myself. But I started following all the very popular fitness pages and I wanted to mimic that. I wanted to embody yeah. that. So it's been years of transition into where I'm at now where I just – I think I'm a little bit less superficial is a part of it too and where I can look at myself and I'm, I'm happy and content with not being – 13 and below percent body fat. Yeah. So how did finding, I think uh, this is one of the topics we brought up, but finding Mm -hmm. that happy, healthy look, I think that's really difficult for people. Um, I think there's that point where people could be 14% for males or somewhat higher and then higher for females, of course. And it's like, there's that point. And it's trying to get people to that point. That's probably the most difficult thing totally. because there's a hard and, thing for balance. And the hard part too is just that it's so different for everybody. Everyone has different jobs, different yeah. social engagements, different relationships. Um, so it's hard to pinpoint what's going to work for everybody. And it's a huge investment in your own time and effort to figure out what that is for yourself. And most people want to be told what to do. Most people want to be told how to do it. But, and that's the hard part, especially as a coach, because I can't, I can't tell you what to do all the time. Yeah. 
what we can do is have these conversations and try and figure out together or, you know, at least evoke the thought and thoughtfulness to figure what out, whatever that is, that's going to work for you, but you're the one that has to do the work. And that goes for everything fitness, nutrition related. I can give you the most badass, like amazing programmed, you know, diet plan or training program, but it won't work if you aren't willing to put the effort in. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating because again, like I can put so much time and effort into creating something that is going to work for you. But at the end of the day, it won't, unless you put the work in. Yeah. I think that's, I think committing yourself and having Mm -hmm. the discipline to follow and the accountability is probably the biggest thing because I went through that period myself where I didn't listen to my first coach that I ever had really, or I wasn't as committed for some reason. And it was just like, yeah, well, crap. I look like crap by the end of it. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of my fault. But I wanted to ask something because I think it's really important because your page shows it and it's like your vulnerability that you've Mm -hmm. had throughout the years, like we were discussing already. Um, How is that like resonated with followers of yours? And it's like, I'm going to assume that people who follow you resonate completely with the issues that you have had. And it's like, how have you made like those connections with your followers and stuff through like your vulnerability? I mean, social media is crazy because a lot of times, especially Mm -hmm. in the beginning when I really started being vulnerable, sharing the photos that I was so embarrassed by that I almost deleted. And I would have like these moments of panic of like, what's going to happen when I post this? Like, how are people going to respond? And the reason I post these things, the reason I try and be honest, vulnerable is because if anyone can learn from my experiences, like that's a win. If I can help someone in a positive way and, you know, maybe even create a scenario where they don't have to go through what I did to get to where I am now, like that's a win. So what I, the only thing that I'm looking for when I post those types of things is like one person to to get it, to like connect with me and share a little bit and connect. And so that we feel like more supported in in the things that we go through. I think if I look back at my high school self, if I had told my, if I had told myself, Hey, like you're not going to be happy when you're super lean, like just focus on being healthy. I would have been like, whatever, like like, you can stop, like you can leave. Like I'm not going (laughs) to listen to you. So a part of me does feel like, you know, maybe I can't have as big of an impact on people, but I do get a lot of messages from people telling me that I've helped them change their mindset and their perspective and their view on what they find value in and, you know, feel better about themselves, which, I mean, that's the goal. Like I just, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's really rewarding. It's not always, I mean, social media is still a place of comparison. It's still hard to hear people say certain things if they, you know, everyone's judging you all the time. Uh, But every time I'm vulnerable, I'm honest, I feel rewarded in the feedback that I get from people who read my comments. Oh my God. Like if you told me a year and a half ago that people would be reading my long ass captions, like really reading them like from front to end <laughs> I would have I yeah like I just I wouldn't believe you because I have used this platform in some way shape or form as a diary of of what I'm feeling and I think that that's something that's super therapeutic for me personally to be able to get my emotions feelings thoughts out on any platform I used to have like a online journal I would journal in and it was just it was private and now it's public. So I still do my own internal kind of um, like journaling. I have my own like handwritten journal. I like to handwrite stuff as well. But so much more of my thoughts and feelings do come out on Instagram. Yeah, I do the, I do the same thing. I think Chase helping me has mm-hmm. been one of the big things. He's like, you just have to share this. Because I was telling him like my whole backstory with me going through like the suicide and then going through 
or the suicide attempt. And then going through all like the bullying and all that stuff that I went through in high school, I was like, yeah, it's like, he's like, you need to show, he's like, you need to show this. And I was like, I couldn't have been more grateful to kind of start this as like, I say the podcast is probably the best thing I've created so far, just because it's like given me the power to reach out to more people and impact everybody. Like I get comments now, like either on my posts or I get DMS and it's like, we share the same things and then it leads to like conversations and it's like impacting. And I learned it from like a couple of people I had on. It's just impacting that one person. And it's like, even if I just get one listener on this episode, it's like, it's 100% worth it. Especially in the world of Instagram, social media, like you cannot focus on the numbers because that is not what determines your success. It does not determine how or your impact yeah. It's hard not to look at those numbers and think that, but but that's where the work really comes in and yeah. reminding yourself, checking in with yourself about what's really important and you know, your ability to share your story. You have no idea the power that that connection can make, and that's really what I think people use social media for. It's a, a medium for connection. And when you feel like you're not alone in something and you feel like you can share something that's super vulnerable, maybe you're super embarrassed about it or, you know, whatever it may be, your ability to then talk to that person about it and open them up to get help or to see things differently is so powerful. I remember, I mean, when I was in the depths of, well, not the depths, but like when I first started kind of having more and more and more of an an eating disorder and kind of spiraling deeper and deeper into one, I, first of all, thought that I was in control. I thought that I could stop any time that I wanted. And I also would never have told a single soul what I was doing. And it wasn't until like my parents really picked up on it that I was kind of forced into seeking help. And even ha- even having those conversations, I was so emotional. And had I not had someone say, hey, you need help, who knows if I would have gotten it, right? Or like, I didn't know anybody else going through yeah. what I was. So who was I going to talk to? Because I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. You know, at the root of it all, like there's a reason why you keep these things private. Um, so you know, had I been able to connect with somebody like this was before Instagram, like who would I, you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know people who were going through similar things that I did. I didn't know that necessarily what I was doing was so harmful, you know, but when you hear other stories of, yeah, this is what I was going through. This is what I was doing. And I knew it wasn't okay. And I, and I knew I needed to seek help or I knew that something needed to change. Like hearing those types of things back then probably would have started and initiated that thought process of, I need to get help. I need to do better for myself so yeah. that I can, you know, get to where I really want to go, which is just to be happy, right? And to be content with the way that I look, the way that I feel, all of these different components. Yeah. And I think that's going to lead us to probably our last topic, which is, I guess, dealing with that disorder. Um like when did that moment when you, like you said, you were talking with your parents that you, that's when you realized you need to get help. So how did you fully accept that, that like you had to deal with the issue and then kind of forcefully take action on fixing that it? That was kind of hard because I think, and this goes for therapy or rehab, anything that you know isn't necessarily right for you or you know it's not necessarily good but you don't necessarily have any intention of changing it and that's kind of where I was in high school was I know this is a problem I know it's not good for me but I also don't necessarily have a big reason why I need to stop doing it so like the restriction um, over exercising, okay. like all of these different pieces. I didn't necessarily have an intention to stop doing them because I hadn't reached my goal yet, which was to be thin and to be happy and to be, to embody this yep. image that I had in my head. So 
even though I went to therapy, even though maybe on the outside, it looked like I was taking the proper steps to get better. I didn't put that work in until way later. And so a lot of that stuff was maybe, you know, just buried deep and would resurface every once in a while, uh, more specifically like after competitions or, um, you know, once I was kind of really lost and like didn't have a very specific direction of here's what I'm doing. I didn't know how to handle the other kind of like the social things. I didn't know how to handle uh, going out to eat. There were a lot of things that I just didn't take the time to prep myself for or whatever. So it would turn into a spiral and into kind of a toxic relationship with food again. And it wasn't until I stopped restricting myself. It wasn't until I started eating foods that I once feared eating. And a lot of this work I did on my own, but I don't, I don't think that a majority of people can heal properly from an eating disorder without seeking professional help. And it's unfortunate that getting like really getting help mentally, emotionally, seeking out a therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist. It's very difficult to find somebody who you can connect with. It's very expensive. So there's a lot of reasons why it's underutilized and undervalued. Um, But, but that's kind of like my journey and how I've kind of figured out, like I had to want to get help and I had want to change and that didn't okay. happen for me until way later in life where I I didn't necessarily hit a rock bottom but I got to a place where I was just like I don't want to live this life anymore I'm so tired of of doing this to myself that like I need to figure out what's going to work for me and then it was a ton of work to figure that out yeah I think I think it, I went through the same thing with like my suicide attempt and everything. It was, I didn't tell anybody for the longest Mm -hmm. time. I fixed it myself because I didn't want to go and kind of admit it to other people at the time. So it was going through it yourself is not something that I don't think a lot of people would recommend. Like you were saying, it's definitely better to go get help from someone who knows Mm -hmm. what they're dealing with or what someone's dealing with. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you said, it was just a lot of journaling. It was a lot of writing and getting deep and just releasing all those thoughts in your head out onto paper. And then that's where the improvement came Mm -hmm. and then like fitness came and it's like life changing. So, but yeah, so, um, thank you. Um, we got, we got three questions left. Um, these are three I asked every single guest who I have on. Um, number one is what, if you could summarize quickly or however you want to uh three things that you think everybody should take away from this episode for sure one of them has to be investing in your nutrition education macros is a great place to start uh investing in a coach investing in expanding your knowledge on the subject so that you can not just learn how to manipulate your body but also learn how to take care of it and you know provide a lifestyle that means a lot to you and is very fulfilling. Um, yeah, definitely memories over macros. Make sure that you're not restricting the things that you're doing in order to reach a aesthetic goal. And, you know, connect with people on Instagram or connect with people on social media for what, I mean, people are on there not just to, make money or not just to show you what they're wearing to the gym, but a majority of people on there, I think are really there to connect and to feel a part of a community. So don't ever be afraid to reach out to somebody, whether it be social media or um, even in person, like human connection is so important. So never look, never neglect that in your life. All right. Those are three great things. Um, especially that last one. Definitely one of the biggest keys is to just reach out to people if you need to. Um, The second to last question is uh, three books and or podcasts that you recommend people should uh, listen to. I'm going to start with The Secret. I cannot 
tell you the author because okay. I think it's some kind of funky spelling, but The Secret is a book that is all about the laws of attraction mm-hmm. and positivity that I think everybody needs to read that. Um, one of my favorite podcasts that I've listened to since I was in grad school is the TNT podcast, Training and Nutrition Truth. And that's actually uh, with some guys from First Form. And the third, Harry Potter. Okay. I'm a Harry Potter. That's one book that I've read front to back probably five or seven times for each of them. Uh, being creative, expanding, and de-stressing in different ways is, of, is so invaluable. Um, so yeah, that would be my three. Yeah, Jordan uh, Jordan Syatt said the same one for Harry Potter. He's a <laughs> he was a huge advocate. He's like, I don't really read books. Just read Harry Potter. <laughs> Um, last question. Uh, we're just going to do some, uh, shameless plugging for yourself. So where can, uh, where can people find you for yeah, so Instagram, my Instagram is anything. at the Sam plan, super easy, no weird spelling in there. Uh, and then if you guys want to email me questions, sorry guys, I had to cut out there. Um, I will include all of her information in the show notes. We had a little technical difficulty, but thank you guys again for listening to episode 15 of the Ace of Spade podcast. I appreciate you guys, and if you haven't, leave a subscribe and leave a review down below. I really do appreciate it. It helps my name get out there and helps more people listen and affect more people in this world because they need to hear this stuff. So, everybody, thank you so much. Have a great day.